0: Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sins were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrificing or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, The Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The word of the Lord.
1: A reading from Corinthians. We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The word of the Lord
2: of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark Lord. One Sabbath Jesus and his disciples were going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was not made, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? They were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to them, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, today doesn't really have the, the canonical designation, but welcome to Critical, uh, critical Clergy Day. <laughs> our texture texture give a somber uh, warning against being, well, a priest, uh, beginning in Samuel, but also included in the Gospel. And um, of course, we kind of had made peace, I think, with this idea that the reason we come together in, in worship is about life. And... We can put up with interruptions in our service, in our liturgy, in our day that are life-giving. I mean, I think that's a very basic takeaway of what we have before us. Some of you were here actually a few years ago when it happened in this very place. Somebody uh, came in who had introduced himself to me the Friday before as having bipolar schizophrenia, and in the middle of one of my more fabulous sermons, if I don't mind saying so, um, he got up and started talking to me. Um, This was not staged or planned. Uh, Fortunately, uh, uh, I mean, really everyone was looking for the doors, (laughs) including me a little bit. And somehow I had this presence in mind to just let him talk, and he did, and and he left. And, And it was this moment I realized that he had probably never been able to do that in church, in his life. And so what was for us very challenging to our decorum was this extremely life-giving moment. Now I want you to know I went home like really vexed and I might have cried a little bit thinking about how every Sunday was going to be like that from now on. It it wasn't. But of course what we realized, I think, and, and, and maybe me more so than anybody, is of course the reminder of why we... We do this, we, we do this this worship and this coming together at God's table to affirm the dignity of every human being, particularly those who are in dire need of affirmation. It happened then. And I think we, we, we get our, our heads around it relatively well. That's a that's a good thinking. You know, we we don't really have um, this practice of Sabbath now that uh, was had. At the time of Jesus, where we count our steps on a Fitbit to make sure we don't go over. (laughs) This is what they were doing, right? Making sure they didn't take more than a set number of steps. Making sure that the food was already cooked so that they weren't working to prepare it and therefore being distracted by the point of the Sabbath. It's easy actually for us to think that the the initial problem in the Gospel is the disciples are eating the grain. That actually you can do. You can pick the grain and eat it. The problem was that they were walking through the grain fields. They were on their way somewhere and that was in violation of the Sabbath to really be going somewhere in holy time. Of course, the reminder is that holy time is all about us going somewhere, right? Easy, basic. Jesus says something I think that's a little irresistible to comment on, which is that, hey, haven't you read that story about how that time when David was really hungry and he walked into the temple and ate the consecrated bread? And it sort of makes me think, you know, people come to the doors of St. Thomas during the week sometimes and they say they're hungry, and my response is, hey, we've got this little bag of food we can give you. I don't know why I didn't say, why don't you come in To the church, and let me give you some consecrated bread. (laughs) Let me give you some consecrated wine. Because in the middle of your hunger, you don't just need that, you of course deserve it. It's an interesting thought about who deserves this stuff that we do, and when and why. It's going to sound uh, critical of other people, but please know I'm probably much more petty than the practices I'm getting ready to mention. Um, when when I, uh, I came from San Diego, and we, we did this interesting thing in San Diego, the diocesan center used to be built into the cathedral, and the cathedral needed the room, so we, the diocesan center got kicked out. The bishop had to leave his cathedral, isn't that something? So we, we did this capital campaign, and we built a new diocesan center in the middle of Ocean Beach, which is sort of the epicenter of homelessness in San Diego. Uh, because in the hot summer of San Diego and Ocean Beach, it's 77 degrees. Wouldn't you rather be homeless there if you had the choice? So the diocesan center was there, and they would serve breakfast and hot meals all the time, and they had a little church there for people who were interested in that nourishment, too. And the big day, of course, was on Monday Thursday. Uh, Monday Thursday, uh, somebody extremely creative, much more so than I am, put on what I would call spa day for the homeless. And we would collect shoes throughout the diocese and care packages, and the day started with a hot breakfast. It ended with a hot lunch. They were takeaways of food, and in the middle time, you could have free veterinary care, you could have a haircut, you could get a massage, you could get a pedicure if you chose. Um, The bishops, the Catholics and the Lutherans got in on this too, the bishops would wash your feet and give you a new pair of shoes. Now, you didn't have to have your feet washed to get the shoes. If you just wanted the shoes, you could have them, but you had this opportunity for bishops to wash your feet. I mean, it's really incredible, isn't it? judgmental me initially thought, I mean, who needs a massage? They need food, you know, they need job training. So I was just really skeptical about why we chose to do this. And of course, participating in it, I was one of the hair cutters for some strange reason. Um, I'm not licensed. (laughs) That's why it was strange. I realized that this was the one day of the year that many men and women could be touched with affirmation and dignity. The one time somebody was rubbing their back to make them feel better instead of to get them up off the bench. The one time when somebody was carefully touching their head instead of trying to get whatever they had in their back. And The bishops were there wearing their cassocks on Maundy Thursday and their nitrile gloves kneeling and washing the feet of these men and women to hopefully give them dignity. Maybe I said that wrong. Maybe the bishops were doing it to help them realize the dignity that God's had for them all along, that frankly we fail to recognize. And it occurred to me that in that moment, there was this really sacrificial thing that could have happened. The gloves could have come off. Those nitrile gloves meant for sanitation, who needed it, I don't know. I can tell you probably the men and women getting their feet washed did not need it, Uh, that that veneer of sanitation. And something else would have been quite interesting as if our bishop had chosen precisely at that moment to wear his miter. You know, that's the fish-shaped hat. They're really expensive and um, clunky. And if he'd chosen to wear his most exorbitant chasuble, and I can tell you, these things are really expensive. Not just to wear them, but to dry off feet with those things. Surely God did not create us for these garments. These garments were created for us. That's part one of the gospel. How do we use the articles we've been given? And do we forget sometimes that the reason these things are expensive is precisely so that we can serve other people with them? The truth is, everybody knows they're expensive, which is why when we use them up, hopefully people realize the dignity they already have before God. Part two is not just about a service being interrupted. We usually forget that having a withered hand was presumed by people a deserved consequence of being a sinful human or fallen in some way. I'm sure people had no problem with Jesus taking care of shriveled hands. But since the people who had them had most likely deserved them, It didn't really seem right for that to be dealt with publicly. Deal with that in private so that we don't have to see. Because after all, the reason that person is so shriveled is because they've sinned. That's what's going on in the story. It's not just somebody's interrupted by a baby or by someone with mental illness. It's that everybody thought the person with the mental illness chose that. Isn't that a funny thing? I was confronted this week when reading this book by Greg Boyle, um, founder of Homeboy Industries. He's written two books now, Tattoos on the Heart and one we're reading together called Barking to the Choir. In his later chapters, he, he talks about this thing that we often forget to realize Mental illness chooses us. We don't choose it. And that it's not alone, mental illness. Same with sickness. It chooses us. And that often, whether in his case, it's a gang member, or somebody who has revealed they have a political opinion different from ours, or they belong to one of those rather jarring theological traditions, we make a decision that we would rather not get to know somebody's story than get to know it. You might be different than me. You might be bigger than that, but I'm pretty small. <laughs> I, uh, I have plenty of prejudice and stereotypes and people, frankly, I'd rather not spend time getting to know because I've already made a decision about them. This story is about that. <laughs> this story is about those people being front and center in the synagogue or in the church, not to give them some dignity that they don't have, but that so we can recognize the esteem God already holds them in. I'm trying to live into that, folks. I'm trying. I, I, um, I have my moments, but they are pretty momentary. All this business about Sabbath, you know, is, is, uh, is a little foreign to us, I think, because, again, we just didn't do that well. So what if instead we changed the word to sacraments? Now, you all know, just as well as I do, that the prayer book says sacraments are outward and visible signs of inward and, visible and invisible graces. So what if we change Jesus' words to say, God did not create the people for the sacraments. Sacraments were created for people. And what if we were naughty enough to say, God didn't create people for grace. God created grace for us. What would that mean? Sacraments are made for us. I suppose it might beg us to reconsider how it is that we are invited to and what we're invited to and how it is that we earn the sacraments and the right to sit at God's table. So paradoxically, parabolically rather, um, many people wonder how it is you get to be a priest. It can be a very long road, and why anybody would want to do it, I have no idea. Um, What you must do, though, in most dioceses, in order to sort of show you're going to be competent, is take something called the general ordination exam. This is like the clergy bar. It amounts to four days of written testing, in which you write, in my case, 21 pages. There's a word, uh, not a character limit, but there's a word limit. Uh, At the end of 21 pages, you can expect to receive about a sentence and a half of feedback, in return, by which you will most certainly be judged by your ordaining committee, who may or may not read the 21 pages that you wrote. In my case, one of the questions said, and of course it was one of those bait and switch questions, more on that later, not today, much later. um, The question said, as rector of a parish, canonically you decide singularly the use of all functions in the building. This is true. Right, and of course, we wield that power very thinly because the question went on that the mosque in your town has insufficient funds to continue to operate, and so they have asked you, the Imam has asked you, can they meet in your worship space? You, as rector, make the decision by yourself. What do you choose? Now, friends, that's just the setup. <laughs> we talked about this as a parish because, you know, having written those responses, I, I just thought we should get feedback from somebody if not the greater and um many people in our crowd in coronado said well yeah of course we would let them meet in the parish hall why not in the sanctuary and the voice was strong Because the sanctuary has the reserved sacrament in it. You know, that's why we use that red lamp over there. When the lamp is lit, it means that there is in that box called the tabernacle there some bread and some wine that we consecrated but did not consume. Now, if the lamp's lit, either we forgot to change the oil or there's nothing in the box. Let me tell you, there's always something in the box. We we can't find the oil this week, so it will probably go out. It's because we're doing a remodel. Um... One of our members said, you can't have Muslims in the sanctuary because it would defile the reserved sacrament because they don't believe that it is what we believe it is. It seems like Jesus might be asking us to really reconsider whether or not we can defile grace with our views on it. How can we possibly defile grace something that God gives freely unless we withhold it and when we withhold it understand we don't defile grace we defile ourselves it seems like this is what Jesus is asking us to really consider I don't want to disappoint you too much But a couple of years ago, I asked a rabbi if he would come and lead a Seder meal in the Jewish fashion. We weren't going to talk about Jesus at all. Just would you come and lead us in the Haggadah, the story of the Passover? And the rabbi was really upset. (laughs) He said, you know, that's like the holiest thing in Judaism, and you didn't believe in it like we do. So why would I offer it to you? And to prove his point, he said, I mean, what would you say if the mosque asked you to come do the Eucharist? And I said, well, how many people will there be? <laughs> because I need to know how much bread and wine to bring. Um, I didn't really know uh, what it means to people who take it, but I sure do know what it means to withhold it. What it means to withhold it. Every Sunday we pray that uh, in the Eucharistic prayer, especially in right one language, that people will take it Properly. and I'm convinced that that means is that people will realize that it is God's gift to them and whether they realize it or not of course they're welcome to receive it because it doesn't come from us it comes from God and surely this is the criticism in 1 Samuel is that the priest is using the sacrament to take advantage of people The priests are stealing from people who are hungry for God's grace. Not just figuratively, but literally. The priests are eating... You can't eat beef tenderloin. You can't. It's an unkosher cut of meat. But they're eating the next best cut. People can only eat meat in the Hebrew Bible when priests prepare it. There's no butchers. That's the priests. The priests are stealing the best cuts of meat for themselves. They become fat, robbing people who frankly are bringing food to God so that it can be holy. This is a criticism, I'm afraid, not just about priests, but our stinginess with grace. How we can siphon off of it at the detriment of other people. I think it brings up the question we're always worried I can tell you as a J person on Myers-Briggs I'm always worried about people getting stuff they didn't earn you know they may didn't mean that prayer when they prayed it (laughs) they got ready for baptism but they didn't mean it you know they were absent sometimes they said the words but I could tell they were just saying those words those are the kinds of things that keep me up at night What a loss for me. What a loss. These are gifts God asks us to give freely, especially to people who we think don't deserve them because the truth is, gifts aren't deserved. They're given. (laughs) That makes them different from rewards. Rewards are earned, and gifts are given. This is why I think we have this opportunity to realize that the sacraments, things like being fed at God's table and being baptized and being anointed with oil and being confirmed and being married and ordained and listening to somebody's confession and pronouncing in the name of God, leave that here in the room and go forward into your future, not into your past. Go forward into your future. The reason we have those things is because we need them. We need them. Not just the people who are being baptized. We're getting ready to do that today. All of us need that, that reminder. And I can't think of a better reason to do it. You know, there's no shells in the Jordan River. (laughs) Well, I should, let me change that. There are, they're about this big. When you see pictures of John the Baptist baptizing people with a shell that is so made up, maybe you're wondering why do we use them Can I tell you, the tradition comes from Spain, not from Israel. Um, Around the 4th and 5th century, people started going on a pilgrimage. You've heard of this probably, uh, Santiago de Compostela, the the way of St. James. People continue to do this today. It's a church in Spain that was thought to be on the edge of the world. I mean like in a flat world, when you went off the coast, you fell off the world. People made this pilgrimage to the end of the world and they brought a shell home from the end of the world and they went to their priest and said, this is from the end of the world. Now use it when you do this because this is about us going off the end of our world. That's what this is about. About us going off the end of a flat world in which we earn God's favor. And going into a round, three-dimensional world in which God gives it to us freely. And what better image, how could you think of anything else with a shell this big than the birth of Venus? How could you think of anything other than looking at the baptized as pearls in God's oyster, which is exactly what we are according to grace. And whether small or big, we need baptism so that we can see the pearls in God's oyster. And so that we can say, and you're going to have this chance, we will do all in our power to affirm these persons. In this new life, regardless of their age, a life that is new because it is lived without boundaries to grace. I know a lot of this was about church today and about the ways we use churchy things, but isn't grace the churchiest thing that we all have? <laughs> it is in our power. To be stingy with. And it is in our power to be generous with. Especially in ourselves. To be generous. To choose to love people. Especially when we don't feel like it. To choose to give gifts. Instead of rewards. And to do it in God's name. And into that kind of life, we're now going to invite Nicholas and Addison. So family, would you please come forward?